Welcome to Onside, the official podcast from the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Authority. Our mission is to protect the health of athletes and the integrity of Australian sport. Hello, I'm Tim Gavel. Welcome to Onside. We'll meet people who work at ASADA, people associated with clean, fair sport as well. And today we've been joined by the Chief Executive Officer of Drug Free Sport New Zealand, Nick Patterson. Hello, Nick. Kia ora, Tim. Uh, The similarities with the role played by ASADA and your organisation, there are many similarities, aren't there? There certainly are. We are fundamentally very similar national anti-doping organisations, but you know, athlete-focused, supporting New Zealand athletes, New Zealand sports to compete on the world stage clean. Do you feel as though working together is very important? You, you need this collaboration, don't you, if you're going to have clean, fair sport? Oh, look, as ever, there's plenty of competitiveness and uh, banter in there, but certainly working together, collaborating, um, it's the only way to address it. It's the only way to approach it. Do you take a similar role in enlisting the help of sports and athletes rather than being seen as the the policing agency and in law enforcement, do you see that that is the way to go? Look, absolutely. I, I suspect if you roll back three or four years, we were the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff and we certainly don't want to be there. We want to be at the top supporting our clean athletes, protecting them. Um, all of our educators now are former or current athletes and so they actually are out educating the teams. They can relate directly with their own stories that people can understand um, and, and, and talk directly to the hearts of, uh, hearts of the audience. And it's intelligence gathering too. They, they, they can come back and tell you, you know, these are the thoughts of the athletes that we're testing. They think we should be doing something better. And I, I guess it, it, it's very much a collaboration between the athlete and the, and the, and the testing agency. Absolutely. That athlete feedback um, on what they see, what they think of our services, um, their concerns in their sport, what they see internationally and maybe their reputation and our reputation internationally. We know we've got a strong reputation as a, as a clean, hard competing country. Um, we want to maintain that, but it's good to hear that repeated back to us from their athletes and know that our athletes think that's important as well. We've talked about the similarities. What are the differences? Um, Size alone, as ever, would be the, the, the big one. The resources that we have um, are a wee bit smaller than yours, and I'm looking around a studio now recording this podcast quite jealously, I should add. Um, but fundamentally, the, the similarities far outweigh the differences. It is about getting in front of athletes and working with athletes um, domestically and then working together internationally to raise standards um, and, as I say, ensure that we're all competing on the same level playing field. Yes, and, and there is a regional responsibility as well, isn't there? Certainly, um, and we really enjoy coming over here to Canberra and working with the SADA, but between us we do our best to work up through the region as well. At the Pacific Games recently, early July, um, both the SADA and Drug Free Sport New Zealand were, to my mind, instrumental in assisting um, the Oceania Regional Anti-Doping Organisation in, in conducting a doping control, a testing programme at the Pacific Games. And that really supports them, provides them resource, provides them technical expertise and allows the Games to progress as everyone wants them to. At ASADA, there is a, a huge awareness campaign through the education programmes uh, to make people aware of supplements. Is that the same process that you go through in New Zealand? Is that the same issue that you're facing? Absolutely. We've, we've, we're in the middle of doing some research and the, the numbers coming back are remarkable, saying it's 95 or 96% of athletes we're talking to at all levels are taking a supplement of some description. 
Five years ago, again, we would have said we don't believe in supplements, we don't think they're necessary in sport, and we think they give people an undue risk of, of, of an anti-doping rule violation. But we've moved stance on that. We know athletes are taking them, so now we're trying to provide better information so people can make informed decisions about whether they take them or not. Those supplements, like some sports, you do need them, but with the heavy input from nutritionists and from doctors and from um, support personnel in the high-performance area, people understand what they're taking, and the batch the batch test in particular protects them. But at the lower levels, your you know, your Saturday afternoon footy players, um, what do they know about the contents of their supplement? Do they know do they need to take it? Um, and what risks are they taking on? We just want to give people more information. Yes, online makes it hard though, doesn't it? The the internet. Remarkably difficult. The fact that you can go online and buy something from a warehouse overseas and have it within a handful of days without necessarily knowing what's in it precisely. Um, it's cheap, it's easy, it's accessible. But again, it comes with a risk. One, one of the things that uh, seems to be pretty similar between the two organisations is uh, the pillars uh, by which you operate, uh, prevention, deterrence, education, detection, investigation, prosecution, and uh, I, I guess working with customs and law enforcement is part of that, isn't it? Look, it certainly is. Um, they all form quite key, uh, key criteria as you work through a process from start to finish. What we all know, though, is you want to you want to aim mainly at the first half of that. You want to be looking at, in uh, education, at detection or deterrence and prevention, and you should have vastly more resources into that sort of area, and um, talking to more athletes in the education piece than you would on the investigation piece and the um, detection piece, because that's the bit you want to minimise. Looking at your previous experiences, an accountant, a uh, forensic accountant, fraud investigator, and I guess as a fraud investigator, you must have wondered how your skills might be applied to sport, you've suddenly found out that they can be applied uh, quite quickly and uh, aptly, I would have thought. Look, absolutely. As, as we've said, that education through deterrence, detection, investigation, prosecution, that's your fraud circle. Um, and yes, I've spent a, a, a large number of my um, working years in that area and actually all through to criminal prosecution. It demonstrates, if nothing else, that that pointy end, the investigation and the prosecution, again, it's the bit you want to minimise, as we did with fraud investigators or, or fraud um, uh, participants. Yeah. You really want to aim on the education and the prevention piece. But it was it was quite pleasing to see my experience relating directly into the sports field. And you have a passion for sport as well. I, I've noticed you, you've run the London Marathon, for instance, and involved in many uh, of those endurance sporting events. So you're well aware of what's required to be an athlete as well. Yes, indeed. And look, particularly in New Zealand, I've done the coast to coast a couple of times and the um, other other big multi-sport challenges. And these are um, maybe across a couple of days of eight or nine hours each or on a single day, 15 or 16 hours in a day. And again, coming back to supplements, I know the need for them. You physically cannot carry enough food in a backpack across the Southern Alps of New Zealand to keep you fueled for the day. So the supplements are required. And I've seen that firsthand. Um, but yeah, a driving passion for sport at all levels. Um, enjoy playing it, enjoy watching it, and again, to be part of it here, I mean, it's outstanding. What about the integrity aspect of sport in New Zealand? Do you play a role in that as well? In my history, that's probably the link between my previous role and my current role. From a fraud investigation perspective, um, I made quite a drive to get involved in the integrity side and start talking about match fixing and the like. And that was my way of moving from fraud investigation into the sporting world. Then the anti-doping piece came through, and obviously that's where I've grabbed it and, and, and moved on. But we retain a real interest in that area. 
we are still looking at across New Zealand and particularly driven by Sport New Zealand um, are doing a big piece of work around sporting integrity and I expect changes in the future. Can you tell us how it works in New Zealand in terms of uh, Drug Free Sport New Zealand, Sports Tribunal and of course uh, integrity? How does it all work in New Zealand? So we do have an independent tribunal, the Sports Tribunal of New Zealand. Um, when my team come across a positive test or other um, intelligence that suggests an anti-doping rule violation, we collate it internally, we review it, and a decision will be made, um, and I'll make that decision about whether we launch proceedings or not. When we launch proceedings, we don't actually make any decisions ourselves or even um, take it to the sports. It goes to the independent tribunal, and the tribunal's made up of lawyers, doctors, and former athletes. So they hear typically a panel of three. They'll hear a case and make a decision about whether the ADRV is established and ultimately what sanctions should be given if appropriate, or based on the World Anti-Doping Code, of course. Mm. But I think it gives a really robust approach to our work. It separates the investigation and collation and analysis of evidence, that's our role, from the decision-making body on um, let's say guilt, it's not quite the right word, but guilt, and then sanction thereafter. And it's a really robust position to be in. The integrity piece is quite separate. Again, that remains a criminal offence um, if it's match fixing, for example. Um, and that's separate from the current setup. But as I say, there's an ongoing project, and um, where that ends, we will have to wait and see. Do you have the same confidentiality undertakings that ASADA abides to in Australia? We have very similar. Um, scenario ours is actually uh, entrenched in legislation and it says that we cannot speak publicly about a case or an individual until the proceedings, any proceedings are completed. Unless the athlete speaks out, unless somebody else speaks out and we need to actually correct the record to some degree. But the, the, the basic premise is confidentiality exists and we can't speak and neither can the sports and that's really to protect um, our athletes. All of our work has to be focused on the athletes, the athletes at the centre of everything that we do. And if we've got an athlete who is um, named and shamed before evidence has been properly considered and heard, well, we don't think that's fair. We need to give them a chance to hear, to tell their story. Do you also have the ability as the CEO to allow sports to speak where they request it and come back to you and, and say, listen, um, are we allowed to talk about it? We don't have that set up in, our, in New Zealand as we are currently uh, made up. Um, the legislation is directed specifically at drug-free sport. Yeah. So we put confidentiality on the athletes saying that they can't speak up. Um, we are then allowed to speak up if somebody else already has. But we don't have the ability to you know, give permission for a sport um, to come forward and say things of their own right. Does it leak? Uh, invariably, if you have a high-profile athlete, and we've not had too many, um, somebody finds out something somewhere so we all have to assume that's going to happen and you know i can think of a an old fraud investigation i had sort of seven or eight years ago um and it was pretty early experience for us in terms of social media and we put two investigators down flew from auckland to christchurch and as they walked through the didn't tell the company we were coming walked through the door talked to the receptionist um, and i was still in auckland and i got a call from the media within an hour mm. and the simple fact was the receptionist had seen these two guys come in who'd over, and they'd overheard where they were from and had tweeted it. Yeah. And so it came out immediately. And this was meant to be a highly confidential investigation. And it's no different in sport, probably more so in terms of social media interest. Yes, it is a very challenging field. There's no doubt about that. Nick, thanks very much for joining us today on Onside. An absolute pleasure. Thanks very much. We'll be back with more in just a moment.
This is Onside, the official podcast of Asada. Time now and Onside for So I Was Wondering, where questions are raised from the public. And today's question is, can I refuse a doping test? Here's Asada's Gary Vandenberg. Uh, if you refuse to provide a sample, you could be sanctioned for the anti-doping rule violation of refusing or failing to submit to sample collection. If you deliberately avoid a doping control officer or chaperone, then you may commit the ADRV for evasion. Uh, the sanction for evasion or refusing or failing to submit to sample collection can be the same as if an athlete tested positive to a prohibited substance and can lead to a four-year ban. Uh, during the sample collection, athletes have the responsibility to remain within the direct observation of the doping control officer or chaperone at all times from the point of notification until the completion of the sample collection procedure. Uh, also, athletes must uh, provide appropriate identification, comply with the directions of the DCO and chaperone during the sample collection session and report immediately for a test uh, unless there is a valid reason for the delay. Athletes need to make sure that they are fully aware of all anti-doping rule violations and what the consequences are for breaking them. Time now for a fast fact. A study of 52 German athletes who were given anabolic steroids during the 1970s and 1980s without their knowledge or consent revealed serious health consequences for those athletes and their children. A study by Humboldt University in Berlin found a quarter of the athletes have some form of cancer and one-third report thoughts or attempts of suicide. The risk of miscarriage and stillbirth for these athletes was 32 times higher than for the general German population. Of the 69 children that survived, seven have physical deformities and four are mentally impaired. You've been listening to Onside, the official podcast of the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Authority. Send in your podcast questions or suggestions to executiveoffice at asada.gov.au. For more information about clean, fair sport, visit our website, asada.gov.au, or check out our clean sport app.